Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. All right. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you. I'm so thankful you're here this morning. I'm already sweating, so hey, I'm ready. I got the, got the juices flowing. We're starting a new series, The Three R's of Parenting. And uh, I know some of you already think, well, I've already raised my kids or I'm singular. I got something for everybody today. I made it my goal today that you're going to get at least some nugget from God. And plus, I'm convinced of this, God's word never returns void. And so something I know is going to happen for you today, but a, lot, a great many of you in the room are parents. If, if, if you're not a parent, raise your hand. If you're, well, if you're not currently parenting kids that are at home, let me say that. Well, most of you have been parents. Who are those people? All right, there's a handful. There's a handful. Okay, so I got something for you today. But for the rest of you, which is just so you know at our church, something apparently we have really honored, and that is the first Great Commission, go and, and, and be fruitful and multiply. We've been really good at that. And so you saw that on the front row. And so I've got a word for all of you today. Just like the three R's of learning, reading, writing, arithmetic, we're going to talk about the three R's of parenting. Number one being receiving your children as a gift from God, which just so you know is so culturally out of the norm now. It used to be like your legacy. It was your future wealth plan. It was, it was what made you fortunate. Now it's an inconvenience. In fact, it's a thing that most people shun. It's wild how tables have turned on children. And so receiving your children as a gift is a good starting point. Now I want to I break you in nice and easy because it's going to get heavy, all right? So here's a couple of memes I found online. Just let's have fun for a minute. Here's the first one. When you finally get your kid to sleep, then you step on a loud toy on the way out. Oh, every one of us have done that probably. And uh, I take all the batteries out of these toys to try to prevent that. Number two, life with a toddler summed up in one image. They bite every apple, not just apples. Name, the, name it that's all over your house, half-eaten foods. Here's the next. Sleeping with your kid is like sharing your bed with a drunk octopus. Indeed, indeed. Number, number four, bathroom break. They will find you. Do you see the tiny hand coming? Moms especially deal with this. I don't know why. They tend not to bother me, but mom, she gets it. Number five, I don't know who gave my child a whistle, but I will find you and I will kill you. I have a certain set of skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. Yeah, parenting can be a whole lot of fun. It can also be extremely difficult. A lot of work. Parenting is certainly not often a laughing matter. It's often exhausting, challenging. That's probably the thing that keeps you up at night. It's the thing that brings to- tears a lot. Parenting is a challenge. Being a parent is also, though, one of the most fulfilling, meaningful roles that you can experience. But a lot of us are feeling overwhelmed. Some of us are feeling overwhelmed for various different reasons. And I've often heard it said, I just wish, I wish each one of my kids had an owner's manual. And the good news is this is a really good owner's manual. Now, I admit every one of my four kids is uniquely different. And so I have to use different passages. I have to go to different places. But it is still a really good source for every one of them wild bohemians I have running around my house. 
actually, <laughs> we have everything we need right here. We just got to dive in. We're going to be in the book of Psalms today, and that might seem like a strange place to, to lead off, but this is one of the, the most wonderful passages in Scripture to, to really describe the family. And, and I think this is the good thing this morning is verses 1 and 2 are so much for everybody. They certainly are good for you moving forward in, in a family, but even as single, even as uh, newly married, been married, had kids a long time, we're, in, we're past even grandparenting at this point. That, that point uh, is those first two verses in chapter 127 are so good. Psalm 127 is where we're going to be. And so after all this laughter, after all this getting ready, what does the Bible have to say to receive our kids as a gift? Well, this is, this is one of Solomon's writings. In chapter 127, here's where we're going to be today. And we see here Solomon, the wisest man. He asked for wisdom. He made a lot of mistakes, but this is some really good stuff here in the book of Psalms. The necessity of recognizing the Lord as the one who builds the family, really builds you up. Without him, you build in vain. This is a good message for all people, certainly for the family. And so we're going to see three steps, and really they are building upon each other. And so you've got to get one to get two to get three, okay? So three steps for receiving our children as a gift. Let's dig in. Just five verses today, all of Psalm 127. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Boy, that's countercultural, huh? Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. God bless the reading of his word. Amen? Okay. How do we receive our children as gifts from God? First point is good for all. This is, this is a point that, this is a step really for all of us. And that is recognize your need for God's help. Recognize your need for God's help. I love that Solomon begins here as almost anyone writing on the subject would begin with the fact that unless the Lord, unless the Lord. Now, some of you have children and it wasn't the plan. It wasn't the plan. Uh, some of you married somebody, the person that's sitting that right next to you right now and you're thinking, this wasn't the plan? Don't tell them that, all right? Uh, but in your head, you're like, this, this went down a way I didn't expect. But this, this word is for you today. Now, there's a great many of you in the room that are, are single. And those people, I want you to know this, this. This is a challenge to you. That the house that you're building, maybe some of you would like a spouse. Maybe some of you are, are interested in uh, companionship in your future. I've found that most people want that. It's rarely I run into somebody that's just like, yeah, I just don't have any desire for, for long-term companionship. There's been a, hand few, a, hand, a handful in my life, but just so few. And so if that's you today, I want you to hear this. Unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. If you've got some theory, oh, 
I'm telling you right now, Jonathan, this is how he's going to look. I've already got him in mind. I've not met him yet. But this is how he's going to look. This is what he's going to do. This is what kind of father he's going to be. I know I'm, I know I'm only 14, but I'm telling you, this is what he's going to look like. And just so you know, he doesn't exist. He's not out there. The he you're looking for is way higher. The he you're looking for is not the one you have in view. He's way higher. And I want you to understand something. Unless you start there, you're going to make some major mistakes here that you can avoid. You can avoid these. Some of you are newlyweds, just, been, just gotten married, just gotten started. Maybe you just had your first kid. I want you to know something. You had these views in mind. It's so funny. Almost all of us did this. When, when we, before we had children, we would think, well, you know, when I'm a parent, I'm going to be this way. And I remember seeing people, we, me and my wife would go to eat before we had children, and we would see people immediately whip out the iPad or whatever so that they could have a meal. And we'd think, well, we're not going to have to do that. <laughs> so judgmental, thinking, oh, man, our kids are, we're not going to. Have four. And you go, I, I, I want four iPads. Can I have four iPads? Like, oh, my goodness. Half the time, me and my wife look at each other and go, when's the next date night? Like when does, and they're getting old enough now where they can watch themselves. That time is coming for some of you. You're not there yet. It's really nice. And they all complain, oh, I don't want to watch my little sister. Yeah, you do. It's going to be great. I'm going to come back happy, and that's good for you. That's a win for you. You just don't know it. Unless the Lord builds the house, you might be thinking, oh, man, when we grow up, we're going to be the greatest parents. Yeah, you might be. If you allow him to build the house. Otherwise, all of your plans, all the books you've been reading outside of this book, there's great stuff there. There's so much good learning in all these external books. But unless your starting point is this, you're going to be just slightly off. And you know what happens? If you start just slightly off a straight, give it five years. Give it ten. All of a sudden, you've got a teenager and you're going, I don't know what happened. It's because all the books outside of this book weren't quite enough. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. That means you can work yourself to death and you will not accomplish the task. This happens all of the time. Look, look, just look around Rocky Mount for a minute. I, I don't know what's going on in Rocky Mount with the road constructions, with building constructions. Someone's got a really silly plan and it takes forever to build stuff. 301 was down from the time I moved here until like last year. And whatever they did doesn't work. I don't understand what's going on. And just, just drive to Nashville sometime on sunset and just have a heart attack. Have a circular heart attack over and over and over. What are we doing? Unless, and we need Jesus for this road construction around here. But that is so much who we are as people. We come up with these incredible complex plans and we work, work, work and we go, why do I have nothing to show for it? It's because our starting point was here instead of here. For some reason we decided I can do this on my own. I can be a married man on my own. I can be a father on my own. I can be a good person on my own. No. Unless the Lord builds the laborers labor in vain. I love what the proverb says in chapter 14. It says a, a wise woman builds her home but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. She works really hard, but with her own work, her own hard hand work, she tears it down instead of focusing on the Lord and allowing Him to work through her. It goes on to say something more. 
builds has this idea of creation. This is Yahweh on display. The word here for Lord, in some of your Bibles, you'll notice it's all caps. It's because it's Yahweh here. It is the Lord's holy name, his majestic name. He is saying, Yahweh, unless he creates, unless he builds, you work hard for nothing. Also, unless he watches. Now, I will admit the King James says it slightly different. It says, Yahweh keeps, and it's, that's a little bit more accurate, honestly. Now, I know why my translation chose watches. is because the next word has to do with the watchmen, the, the guards at night. But the word really has the idea of unless God is guarding, is keeping, certainly watching is in view, but it's even bigger than that. Unless he's sustaining, unless he's got his hands around the city, you can have your guards on every watch of the night, but it won't matter because the raiders are going to come and they're going to tear the wall down. Unless he's standing guard. Do you understand this? Unless the Lord is standing guard over you, single person, over your house, family, unless he's standing guard, there's a whole lot of opportunity for external raiding. In fact, we live in a society now, we live in a generation now where it's really easy to penetrate the walls. It's really easy to tear down the guard because we turn stuff on in our our houses all the time that are ready to tear down the guard. And I'm not getting up here telling you, hey, you, gotta, you better throw the TVs out. You better stop listening to all your, your crazy music. You know, I, that's not the point of this. The point of this is, unless the Lord is that guard in your house, you're, you're watching in vain. In fact, you can do all of those things. I knew people growing up that couldn't watch TV. They couldn't watch any of the shows I grew up watching. They couldn't listen to all this music. And they don't even walk with Christ anymore. And the reason for that is they didn't make the connection of why their parents did what they did. They didn't understand that it was the Lord they were trying to entrust with the house. They just saw it as strict rules. This God we serve sounds like a, just a, a slave driver who does nothing good for me. That's what they thought. Rather than see this in its truth. That God, he shields us from so many things for our benefit. This is a good picture for us as parents, but even first as people to go, you know, why is it that we have the law? Why is it that Christ says, teaching them to do all that I have commanded you? Why does obedience have something, maybe the largest thing in view when it comes to discipleship as Christians? Why is that so in view? For the same reason as moms and dads you say to your kids all the time. The reason that I told you no, the reason that we don't do this here is because it's for your good. There's a reason I don't just allow my, my four-year-old to come up and t- touch hot stoves. I go, get it out of here. It's hot in here. Stuff's burning. I don't just let them run rampant in the kitchen. It's because, guess what? It's a crazy thing. I love them. I love them, and I don't want them to hurt. I don't want them to have pain. My God loves me even more. So he gives me the law. He gives me good for my good, not for my, not for my bad. He doesn't tell me, hey, obey me and do these, don't do these things and do these things because these things are so great, but I don't want you to experience some. That's not so. It's not so. Yeah, they, these things over here that people get addicted to and want to do so bad, they feel good for a moment, but they're not eternally good. And they end up tearing us down. No, God loves me enough to encourage me to do the things I should do that are best for me. And as a parent, we model that. That's why the, the, the proverb here, the, the psalmist says here, unless the Lord keeps, unless he watches, unless he guards, all of your guarding is in vain. 
Now, this is just a one-to-one for you parents in the room. You parents in the room who are doing a lot of work to watch your kids and make sure that you've kept, maybe you've kept them out of public schools, that's good. Go for that. That's, that's the choice you've made. And you've put them in a Christian school. And you think, that's going to be enough guard. I don't know what happened to a lot of my friends growing up that went to Christian schools. They aren't Christians now. I, I, this, just so you know, your role as their parent, as their uh, spiritual steward, is never to be given somewhere else. No one else can do this job. No one else. We can't do it here. We're going to do our very best in these classrooms to teach your children, but we cannot model what you're modeling six other days a week, six and a half, that you're undoing anything they might be learning here. And everything that's happening at the Christian school, or even if you're homeschooling, you have only you to blame, do you not? <laughs> but here's the truth. At the end of the day, it is not man's work. At the end of the day, you could do it all right, but unless the Lord keeps the house. So we come with this humble submission, this, this obvious choice to God, hey, every one of these kids, every one of these people in my life, I cannot decide the gospel for them. I cannot make them choose Jesus. I cannot do it. I can model it. I can teach it. At the end of the day, I need the Lord to guard the house. So, parents, if we're not on our knees daily about this, there's something not right. Every day we should be, Lord, I, I don't know what's going on with Nate today. I've, I've tried to tell him truths. I've tried to model tr- uh, good behavior. I've tried to model Christian uh, behavior. But, Lord, he does what he does. My son, he's 14 now. He's just doing things that I don't, I don't understand all the time. God, guard his heart. And my four-year-old, <laughs> I don't know why she jumps off furniture and acts like a wild, wild loon. I can't change their hearts, but you can. Guard them. You can pray this single person. You can pray this over that person that maybe you, <laughs> maybe you think is far from God. Hey, God, guard their hearts. Build, build, build a relationship with this person. My mom, my dad, my sibling, that person at work. These are the same kind of prayers we should all be praying. God, build a foundation in my life and guard it. Keep me from sin. This is part of the Lord's model prayer, in fact. God is the owner. He's the builder. He's the sustainer. We are sustainer. We are simply his stewards. The psalmist says just in a few psalms prior, Psalm 121, it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Where does your help come from today? Look, you all have resources. You just do. You, none of you can honestly say, I, I just go about my life my way. No, there's, some, there's something informing. Even if it was something that happened to you 20 years ago. Maybe you're informed by the way you were raised, and maybe that's good. But it won't be enough unless the Lord builds the house. Maybe you're raising kids the way you were raised, and that wasn't good. But you can't break free of it. Awesome news today. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, a pure heart. Whatever you've been doing, I don't care if your kid's a teenager today. God can do a new work today. New prayers, new change, 
new belief. God, today I see it this way. I receive my kid, my kids as a gift from you. And I'm asking you, I've made some mistakes. Maybe I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm asking you to pour out your Holy Spirit in me and through me. Would you build my house? God, would you do the things that I've been, I've been messing up? But God, you can, you can fix what I have broken. You did it in me. He did it. If he can do it for us individually, can't he do it for us corporately? God, heal my family. If you're going to build a house, the simple truth is this. You don't hire an architect to draw up the blueprints and hire a contractor to build it after you've already like started. Like You do all of that prior. So go ahead today. <laughs> Depend on the experts. Go ahead and get a, a new blueprint in Christ Jesus. Here's the second. The second step. And that is to embrace your children as God's blessing. Now, the word blessed is in there in verse 5. That's really where I'm getting the idea of the point. The whole thing, though, paints a really clear picture of gift, reward, blessing. The word blessed here in verse 5 is the word esher or asher. In fact, the, the tribe of asher it means happy or blessed. That name, asher, means happy or blessed. He says blessed. Blessed are those. Psalm 127.3, in fact, puts it this way in another translation. It says, children are a blessing and a gift from the Lord. Now, I have to admit something. On this particular point, I feel like our nation is very upside down. Very upside down on a lot of levels. Now, I don't want to get into every single detail of this, but we have to admit that even inside of the church, we often see kids as an, an encumbrance. In fact, I have to admit, week after week here at our very campus, we have a conversation. Every week we say, we say something along these lines. How are we going to cover this classroom or this classroom? Because simply put, not a lot of people want to teach little rugrats. I get that. I understand that. We want something that is hard to fill the positions. And guess what's true? It's not just true of our church. I've served in a lot of churches. I've been around a lot of pastors. I've never heard a single other pastor say, you know what we got? We got a lot of teachers. We got enough. They never say Jira of the kids' ministry. They, they need to trust in Jira, the one who provides, the one who is enough. And we got to, too. We want to do this wonderful ministry for children. However, what we're also running into is that it's difficult to find teachers. Because then you have to miss this. Now, I have a plan for that. Some of you aren't quite ready for that yet. And I don't know when we're going to pull the trigger on it. But one of these days, we're going to do two services. And the reason we're going to do it is so that you can't say, well, if I teach, I'm going to miss Sunday. No, you're not. You just have to stay here a little longer. And this, then guess what I'll find out? You'll teach, and then you'll go home. And I'll go, your excuse makes no sense to me. What was your problem all along? But I don't want to stay that long. You guys didn't grow up in some of the churches that I used to experience. I mean, my, we've been two services a long time in Wilson, but I know churches all over this town, they're going to do lunch together today. they got a lot going on. They're going to do Sunday night. We could bring some of that back. I don't, some of y'all are shaking your heads. I'm down. Let's, let's roll. I, I can teach more. I'd be happy to do it. Children are a blessing. They're a gift from the Lord. So often, even in my family, I, I, have, to re, I have to reorient myself and remind myself, yes, these kids can be very difficult at times, but when I get the wrong mindset that somehow they are they're, they're, they're a pain, 
they're a distraction, then I miss my role completely. My most essential role, being a pastor, that's cool and all. That's not my essential role. I'm a disciple maker, and I must start at home. I have to start at home. And if I disqualify myself from making disciples at home, I see myself disqualified here, personally. I think that's true. Are you disciple-making in your home first? There are a heritage, it says in verse 3, an inheritance. <laughs> How amazing is this verse? Verse 3, sakar means reward, wages, payments. God says kids are a payment from God. They are a wage for good living, for, for, for healthy marriage. Here's your payment. Isn't that crazy? Did you know most of the world still sees it this way? We're the weird ones that see kids as, that's not a reward. I made a mistake. No, <laughs> a blessing from God. Because guess what these kids used to do? Take care of you when you get old and die. We've messed that up too. That's why the whole system breaks down along the journey. Maybe we need to recover a whole, I would say not even maybe, we need to recover the idea of the Christian family that begins at, at birth and goes all the way up till death, that there's, there's a journey that God designed for us. Having and raising children is a part of the blessing, and then they will help you when you, when you get old. Psalm 128, it says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. This is a blessing. Understand the eternal value that God places on this child. Matthew 18, it says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Parents, you're raising eternal beings with eternal value. That's a scary thought, and yet a blessing, an amazing. I truly think, parents, if we would, every morning we come up, every day that the first thing you hear is of a little hand on the bathroom door, and you just were trying to start your day in silence. Some of you are farther along in the journey. And you have to go bust in your teenager's room because they never come out anymore. And they're not, the lights are out and you're wondering if you've actually bore a vampire. You're concerned. For every part of that journey, understand this is an eternal person. That you had the opportunity to share the best thing about your life and that is Christ. The best thing that ever happened to you. If you understand that piece first, then it makes it easier to share you, yourself, an eternal being who God has rescued by the cross. Now have the opportunity to pass that on and there is nothing better to pass. I love what Spurgeon writes on the topic. I've been thinking about this all week and I'm really challenged by it because I make this mistake all of the time seeing my kids as this word he puts, encumbrance. He gives children, Spurgeon writes, not as a penalty nor as a burden, but as a favor. They are a token for good if men know how to receive them and how to educate them. I love this line. Listen to this. They are only doubtful blessings because we are doubtful persons. 
Where society is rightly ordered, children are regarded not as an encumbrance, but as an inheritance. And they are received not with regret, but as a reward. I I don't know how to better put that. I don't know if that challenges you today. It challenges me to spend a little bit more time first in prayer. Because something needs to change in me, friends. Something probably needs to change in your heart and mind if you've seen them as a distraction, as an encumbrance, as, as often. And, and the more you have, the more of a challenge this can be. You don't view them in the way God views them as eternal beings with eternal value that God loves, that he died for. When you miss all of that, maybe it starts in prayer going, okay, God, help me. Begin to shift me so that I will take time for them. Kitty France in her book writes, you are, not mar- you are not managing an inconvenience. You are raising a human being. <laughs> Amazing stuff. Moses' parents certainly considered him an extraordinary gift. In fact, I would say much of the Bible really defines children in a much better way. They see them in a much better light because this is, this is their legacy. They saw it rightly. Moses' parents considered him. It says in Hebrews 11, in fact, that by faith, Hebrews 11.23, by faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they, they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. He became later, as you know, Moses' famous name. He became the, the one who rescues Israel. But this is true of every single child. Every one of them has eternal potential. Eternal. Their potential is, is, is limitless. Do you view children as an interruption or as a blessing? What would it look like? Let me challenge you with this, parents in the room. Grandparents, too, when you get those opportunities, and some of you get a lot of opportunities. I didn't address that today, but some of you grandparents are borderline raising kids at times because it, it can be challenging as parents now. A lot of parents, have both, both parties have to work jobs. and Grandparents in the room, too, parents know this. You have opportunities to see them as a blessing. What would it look like? What would it look like today to change your attitude? In what ways, and I can't answer this for you, in what ways has your attitude not quite been aligned with God and that he sees them as, I love them, I love them so much, I died for them, and I love you so much that I entrusted them to you. What would you do with that? What would you change? Here's the third and final step. Accept your role as God's shepherd. As God's shepherd. Now, this happened to each and every one of us. The first kid came out of the womb, and moms immediately, something clicks in them, and they go, I'm a mom. Now, I know mentally there's challenges, and and it seems like you ladies have some things to work on, but it's different for you. Like, all of a sudden, maternal instincts, and like, give me that baby, and I want to hold it. And dads take the baby at first, and this is all of our looks. (laughs) I, I, I made this, and... I don't want to drop it. Um, I don't know how to feed it. What is it? it well, I don't know what that sound means. I didn't realize that's the color of what came out of them at first. That's, that's interesting. Why does it not smell initially? That's confusing. It's, you just, you look at them all wild-eyed. I made a lizard. Look at this lizard I made. It's slimy. 
Nate came out, and the doctor said, I think it has red hair. And I said, I don't think, I I think not. Where would that have come from in my family? I got questions for Nicole if that kid has red hair. (laughs) It didn't have red hair. It was very, very strange, strawberry blonde kind of hair. And I was scared. I was afraid. And I've noticed something about parents, and this isn't just a dad thing. We all have a choice to make. Am I going to accept this role? Am I going to decide that this is, this is who I am? Or am I going to choose to... I'm, this, you know what? I want to be the kind of parent, this is my friend. And a lot of parents have tried that. I've said, you know what? I've just, I made a little friend. Hey, little friend. And little friend is going to go, or he's going to grow up, or she's going to grow up to be an absolute hellion. Do you know why? Because that kid needs a parent. It needs a parent bad. It's the system God created. Oh, I, I just wanted to make a friend. No. Oh, I didn't really even mean to make this thing. I don't know what my role is. God, you know, can I give this? Somebody else take this role. No, no, no. This is, if this is, in fact, God loves me and he loves this kid and he, he aligned this kid in my life, okay, it's my role. I am the what? What am I then? Verses 4 and 5 define it this way, that you are a warrior. That's the illustration it gives, like arrows unto a gabor. The word there is gabor in Hebrew, which means champion. Mighty one, brave, hero. (laughs) When you have kids, guess what you get? You get to be a hero. And you will be that to them or you won't. You'll be the opposite of that. But if you choose and go ahead and say, you know what? This is the role God has given me. This has happened, so I better accept this. This is my role. I am a shepherd. I am the warrior. And he says, this is so great. They're like arrows ready to be launched. A a full quiver hung on the back. You know, a quiver, just so you know, I I say this a lot when I come to this verse. And no one is, very few, some of you have taken me up on this. But a quiver is five, just so you know. So a quiver full, five. I feel like that's, y'all saw that as an odd number and went past. Good job. (laughs) You're you're a multiple quiver full. You've got an extra quiver now. I almost got a quiver full. I'm done at four. Don't ask questions. I'm not doing it. I'm done. Blessed is he who has a quiver full. The more the merrier. Why? Because when he comes before the gate, he, he, won't, be, he won't be despised. He won't be put to shame by his enemies at the gate. This is an interesting thought. The enemies, the idea of the gate here is this is the place in which They would hold court, in fact. This is the place in which you would go and be with the elders of the city. So the enemies would be like, maybe political enemies is more in view here. That these are the people you're jockeying for position in town. And so in ancient times, if you came before the city and you had a lot of kids, you you bore a certain kind of power, a certain kind of weight, because they would know, you know, if you have a lot of sons, these are future warriors. If you, if you have a lot of kids, this is, you could have a lot of agriculture. You could, have, you could do a lot, so you would come and you would have power because of what you did. If you didn't have a lot, it could be shameful. Now, I understand these are different times now, but the, 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 the message carries forward, I believe, that blessed is the man. Why? Because he gets this wonderful opportunity to shoot these arrows straight. This wonderful opportunity to point these directly. Now, where do you point these arrows? This is such a great thing, and I, and I imagine many of you have seen this illustration before. I've often heard it this way, and I don't know if my, my father, who's the pastor in, in Wilson, I don't know if he came up with this, 
probably he, he adapted it from somebody. He reads a lot. But the idea here is that over time what you're doing is what you've done first is as a single person, at some point in your journey you said, all right, I said yes to Jesus. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. I've taken a firm grip. Now, sometimes I wander about, but I'm, I'm trying to stay firmly gripped to him. All right, you are, are my Lord. And I want to follow you. And I want you to send me where you desire. You've made me for yourself. This is the first relationship. Parents in the room, single people in the room, this one has to happen first. You can't, you can't pray unless the Lord builds the house unless the Lord has first built your house. He said, all right, I'm, I, I am yours. And then the next step is along this journey, I get married, I have a child. And my only goal, and it's... It's complex, but it's simple. It's simple in the, in the sense of what it is. It's complex in how to get there. But the simple answer is this. My only goal is to take his hand and take this little one's hand and hand it off. That, that's the simple goal that I have. Is I, I now have this child, and I have to do this piece too. And some of, some of us parents are not doing a firm grip here. We're not really getting to know this child. We're not spending enough time to really get to see their heart and know their heart so that we can rightly pull them towards Christ and say, all right, the things you're battling and every child is unique, they come out this way. You don't have, the environment doesn't necessarily affect. They come out sinful and they come out with different varieties of brokenness. Some of them are a little crazier than others. Some of them are a little wilder. I would say watch out for those quiet ones too, though. I've got to know this child. I've got to get to know him. Okay. I know, I know now the very area where you need to understand that you need a Savior. That This is the very spot. I'm gonna, and I'm just trying to connect the two. And then I get to do this later on. But I'm spending my whole parenting doing this and to use his illustration it's the sense of I'm not just I've got a straight arrows these arrows are in my quiver but I'm not just firing him at anything oh man my kids he's really smart I'm going to fire him at education he's going to go on to do great he's going to be a doctor he's going to be a, a, a lawyer he's going to do something where you got to be smart wow I'm going to fire him over there okay good shot I guess but the mark wasn't over there Oh, you don't understand. My kid is the next Nolan Ryan. He's the next Cal Ripken. He's gonna, I'm, these are older names. Um, who are the new guys? I don't know. Uh, he's going to be the next Tom Brady, whatever. Yes. Firing, firing, firing. That's okay. Cool goal. Good goal, I guess. But that's not the mark. He's, the mark here, again, as usual, is I'm firing him. And I'm just taking all I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm rearing back and I'm firing at, at the Lord Jesus. All right, God, they're yours. You send them where you desire them. Maybe the illustration is even better that really what I'm trying to do is get them to let God take the bow. <laughs> Maybe that's the even better point of this illustration. It's like at some point as a parent, what I'm really trying to get my kid to see is, God, where would you like me to be fired? Where, where are you sending me? Like Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Where do you desire? Do you, what career do you want me to do? Who do you want me to marry? These are questions that most people aren't asking. You can instill these into your kids. What does God want? He made you. 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. 
God chose Abraham and he He's chosen us. Look what he says in Genesis 18. I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. My friend, if you have children, God has chosen you. You are his shepherd. You are his gabor, his warrior. Honor him in this. Point those kids straight back at him that he might send them where he desires them. I often recommend this book. If you haven't read it before, you've got new kids, uh, I would recommend it to you. You can pop this up. Um, actually, I have the quote first. You can pop the quote up first if you want. Dr. Ted Tripp in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, writes, Parents must be willing to be in charge. Recognizing that God has called you as his agent defines your task as a parent. You shepherd your child on God's behalf. You're his shepherd because he called you to be. And this is the look of the book. You can pop that up. I have more copies of this. If you would like one, I'll give you one today. Now, I want to I share something as we come to a close that we did this past week. We had this crazy thing here called Kids Fest. Um, and some of you, you know, if you participated, it, it, it's somewhat like a, an old school VBS in a way. We just had to be different and name it something different. But we write all the material, and it's really a lot of fun. And all week, I, I know we were encouraging each other, hey, why are we doing this? Because it's like three hours, four nights in a row, and we put hours and hours and hours into decorating and preparing and, and practicing dramas and practicing music. And what in the world are we doing all this for? I just want to encourage you this week. We had 44 unique kids come through. Not They weren't all unique, but I mean in the sense that 44 different kids over the different four nights, and they all received a very clear presentation of the gospel. Wednesday night especially, they, were to, they, they got a, a good presentation. I knew of a couple of kids that are interested in baptism now. We might have, where we're going to have a baptism on the 30th. I think we've at least got two. We may have more. This is very exciting that what we're seeing is a move of God in our children's ministry. And just looking up here, boy, that was a whole lot of children this morning. And so here's what I understand as a church. Regardless of where you are in your life journey, what we're doing here is trying to raise up the next generation. Now, I want to share something with you. And I don't know how this will rub some of you. But most studies are showing, and this, I've seen this in several different articles as well as a Barna study. If you do a good job of reaching the youngest generation as a church, and this has been historically true, if you do a good job of reaching them, whether that is the way you do music or the way you do uh, youth ministry, whatever. Th this, these articles weren't necessarily about how to do it, which would be helpful, but, uh, but why to do it. And the why is this. And tell me if this is true. I, if I hear amens, I'll know it's true. But if, we, if as a church we're reaching that next generation really well, most of the time, a high probability of the time, the older generations will come along. And the reason that they'll come along on the journey is because at the end of the day, their strongest desire is that their kids and grandkids and beyond them will follow Christ. Amen. Now, what does that mean as ecclesiology? That is the way in which we do church. That means sometimes you'll show up at church and there's goofy stuff hanging from the ceiling. Okay, that's what that means. That means there's strange banners on the wall. That means we do music that isn't always what you grew up with. And I'm, I'm happy to mix that stuff in. I love hymns, believe it or not. I love them. 
I'd be happy with an organ. I would. And a suit, because I look good in a suit. <laughs> but we're not doing a lot of that. Why? It's not just because this is more comfortable. It's because we believe, and we're always going to be challenging ourselves, can we reach our children? Can we reach their children? And someday I'm going to be an old man, gray man, and I'm going to need help reaching that next group. I hope that's okay with you. You got to see under the hood just for a moment of why you would show up and the room would look like this. It's because we desire every generation come to Christ. We desire that. And we're going to work hard for that. There's a war for your children. There is. There always has been. Nothing's changed. I do hear a lot of news and things like that now, and it seems like people are more talking about it than ever before, but it's always been true. There's always been a war for the next generation. When they're in that stage of life where they're the most flexible, when they're the most unsure. So let's model that well as parents, as church members. And I want you to know a few of you in the room, single people, those people that don't have kids yet, I want you to understand something. You have more influence than you know. Because some of the people I grew up looking up to were people that were single at the time, youth leaders, people in youth ministry that were single or early married. And these were the kind of people that had more time for me. There's a really a great value in that like in-between stage, that like high school, college age, 20s kind of age where you can really pour out more time into young people. There's a war for the kids. Will you accept your role as God's shepherd? Will you recognize your need for his health, his authority, his power? Will you embrace kids not as an encumbrance, but as an inheritance, as a reward? And will you accept your role as his shepherd? Let's pray now together, church. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would do this mighty work in our church. That we would model your love to the next generation and the one after that. That they would know very well the truth of your love. Not just, not just half of it that, hey, you, you, you died on the cross for our sin. But the whole story, that is, we are, we are broken, we are far from you. And any human who's honest with themselves knows there's, there's just some stuff that's not right in my life. There's some stuff that's broken in my walk. In, my, in, in the way that I do work and in, in the way that I interact, sometimes there's just something is wrong. And the honest person would say, I need, I need a redeemer. I need, I need someone who would take my, my wrongs and make them right. I can't do that on my own. Even when I try my very hardest, I tend to make some mistakes. Maybe I'll get some things right, but I'll still think an ill thought, a horrible thought about this co-worker. I'll say this, and I know I shouldn't have said that. I'll even go and do this thing that gives me comfort, but I know it's not right for me. God, I know this. I need a redeemer. Most honest people would say that. I know I need someone to make my wrongs right. God, I want to start at that point. Maybe that's you today. You've come into this building. Maybe you have kids. Maybe you don't. But you know this much. I need God's help. That first point, I, I recognize I need the Lord's help. I, I, I am building my own house, my own way, and there's some broken spots. I got some slats missing. The foundation's a little off. 
I've tried really hard. I've worked really hard, but I just keep, I keep running into this addiction, to this broken thing, to this depression, this anxiety. I can't undo this thing. I, I need a redeemer. If that's you today, what wonderful hope. What wonderful news for you, my friend, that Jesus Christ is that very redeemer, your savior, the one who makes your wrongs right, the one, in fact, who makes them right by paying for them. He's done that already. If that's you today, you recognize you need God's help, pray this simple prayer with me. As Romans, Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. If that's you today, my friend, pray this. Jesus, I believe that you are Lord of my life. You're in charge. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. Sins of the world, my parents, sure, but my, my personal wrongs my shame, my guilt, all that brokenness, I now place it at your feet knowing that, Jesus, you paid for it on the cross. And God, I recognize that you raised Jesus from the dead. He is not dead. He is not in a grave. He has been raised. And this gives me so much hope that not only, God, have you paid for my sins, but you have a future for me, eternal glory for me. Dear friend, if you prayed that with me just now, welcome to the family of God. We are all like you, my friend. We need daily God's help. Just because we've prayed that prayer once doesn't mean we don't pray it day in and day out. God, help me as I go to work. God, I need your power. I need your help as I, as I take this, this new thing on, as I parent for sure. God, I ask now that you would empower those parents in the room, that we would model you well. If we, do, if we do nothing else in this world right, that we would do that right, God, would you please, through us, model Christ Jesus to our children, that they would know you through us, and that, God, you would do the unique, unique work that only you can do. Unless you build the house, we work in vain. God, you do that piece. I'm lifting up. I'm thinking about all four of my kids right now. There's nothing I can do to change their hearts that they would love you, but, God, reach them. Reach them. Draw them close that they might know you. I want nothing else in this world more than that, that my kids would know you, that they would love you, and that they would walk with you. And I can't do that for them, God. Would you build the house, and would you guard their hearts? It won't be long before they're off on their own, and some of you are already there. Some of you are a long ways away. God, would you guard their hearts? as they go on to be adults and raise kids of their own, God, that they would follow you and know you and love you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. God, do that, please. God, would you use us, use our church to reach this city, that there would be little ones that's, that are in these hallways for years to come, that you would allow us to be lights in this community, that we would be a clear gospel presentation to the next generation. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.